Today changes my whole entire life. Welcome to Gridability, a podcast about the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. I'm your podcast host, Adam Clausen, and with me in the studio is the beautiful and ever-radiant Ro Clausen. Hey, I'm very excited for this part two. I don't even want to waste any time. Part two. We are back. We haven't done too many part twos, but last week, man, we had such a good time here with this couple. And we had to come back for part two because we really only just like nicked the surface of the story. And there's so much that we want to talk about um, with the two of you, your relationship. Kyle, Felicia, welcome back. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, so happy you guys can come back. Thank you for having us. Uh, we are, yeah, we are so grateful to have the two of you back. And we were just talking before we came back on live and about some of our relationship issues. And that's really what we wanted to touch on today because um, I think we touched a little bit on this last week that for me, the individuals that I have seen come out of prison after doing, you know, a significant amount of time, um, those that are most successful have an incredible woman by their side. Uh, and I don't know, like, I don't think that's by chance. I think that's by design. I'm going to say, you know, I've said it numerous times. I would not be who I am without you. And, you know, you were there for so much of it. Not all relationships are able to, you know, um, survive those kind of circumstances. Uh, so I really want to dive into really the two of you, your relationship, how you managed to make it work, you know, the separation, and then ultimately, you know, what you guys are doing today and, you know, getting to the other side, because clearly it's worked out, right? We see the two of you together. You guys look great together. I yeah. love happy endings, man. Yeah, I think Thank when you. we left off last week, you, Kyle, had just gotten to Allenwood and you said you weren't together because you were concerned for Felicia's safety and you didn't know if you'd be able to handle, you know, if you got that that call or that message or whatever it is from the chaplain, if something had happened to her. So then what was next? What happened? Um, so actually it was, it, uh, Allenwood was a little bit before, um, when I, when our, her and I's situation occurred, it was when I had just went back and, um, and I was in the county jail and I didn't know how to do time and be in the relationship. And, but yet at the same time, she was not willing to part ways. And, you know, obviously deep down, I didn't want to part ways either. That was the last thing I wanted to do, but I didn't really know how to navigate being locked up and living in that environment and dealing with those types of situations in there. And I knew what she was going to have to go through by signing it on. And, well, and I was still using. Yeah. And she was still an act, you know, she was still uh, an active addiction. And that concerned me too. Cause it's like, I know what that life entails. I know what goes on. I know. Um, I just, I knew that it, under those circumstances that it couldn't work. And fortunately, um, 
for me and for her and for our relationship, she took that to heart and went to treatment and she drove herself. Well, I think your mom brought you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Her mom brought her down to treatment. She went to treatment and our relationship really started to flourish from there because as she started to get healthier, it started to change my mindset and my perspective of my situation where instead of seeing it as, well, and I think you've seen me, because in my active addiction, I was a lot different than when I was sober. And in that treatment center, I was able to have my phone for, I think, after 4 p.m. And so he yeah. would call me and we'd talk almost all night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that really helps put it into perspective when you have, especially we share a lot of the same traumas, you know. And, yeah, so from there, it was like, we're doing this. You know, we're getting married we're putting the drugs away, we're putting the life away, and we're going to shoot for a future that we've always dreamed about but never thought we could have, you know? So so she's in treatment. You're in the county jail at this time still? Yeah. And you guys are able to talk every night. You're both sober now for the first time. Was that the first time you were sober together? Yeah. Yeah, besides when we were kids. Yeah, so besides when we were younger, yeah. And you said, Felicia, you said it was a little bit different. Like, you felt like you were a different person. How do you feel like you were different when you were sober? Yeah, well, when I'm using, well, honestly, until Kyle came back in my life, like, I had been using since I was 14 on and off in and out of prison and jail and psych wards and treatment centers. And, um, kind of how Kyle was talking about, you know, his, his past and what led him to his, his incarceration. Um, I kind of went through similar things, you know, with my stepdad and, um, you know, at that, at the point that he had found me in 2020, I was just a broken shell of a person and I used everybody. I, you know, I didn't have really, I didn't believe anything anybody said. So when he had told me like, you know, no, this is for real. I was like, yeah, okay. And that's just kind of how I, how I looked at it. But when I went to treatment, I was like, oh, maybe he is for real, you know? Um, and so like, we got to know each other on a deeper level and the bond that was connected, that connected us uh, during that time, you know, like we were talking about things, you know, from our past and things we had been through and we could just relate on so many levels. And I had never had anybody be there for me. Um, or like care about my opinion or, or what I was thinking, how I was feeling. Um, and so that just really kind of threw me into a, like, I'm really going to try my hardest and give it my 100. Mm, I love that. And we've talked about this before, like relationships, you know, when people talk about making that investment in order to make it work, uh, you know, a lot of people say that they're willing to put up 50%. They're like, I'm going to put up 50%. You put up 50%. Like we go half and half, but in order to make a relationship work, like you got to both put in a hundred, it's got to be a hundred and a hundred. And I'm going to say most people aren't willing to make that commitment to give that much of themselves. But I think there's something to be said about when you're in a relationship and it's a long distance relationship and you have the ability to have a little bit of separation from each other, I think maybe you it causes us to appreciate that a little bit more sure. and focus more on the communication. 
right? Like we get a yeah. chance to work through our thoughts and then really express them without the distraction of actually being physically present. Cause I'm gonna say sometimes when you're, you know, physically present in the room, like it's more about the physical and you don't always articulate the thoughts and the emotions. So that separation gives you a, a little bit more opportunity to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, and if it, the, the unique thing about the, that situation that you're talking about is like sitting down and having to, not having to, but committing to writing handwritten letters. Cause there was times where like, when I had to go through intake, I couldn't call, I couldn't message. And, and now I had spent six months in the County jail where I had a tablet and I could message her and she would have it within seconds. And then she could message back. Wow. I could call on the phone. She could even, and, and you'll be surprised by this. I think Adam, she could even call me on my tablet. What? So, I, yeah. So I would be sitting there with my tablet, watching a movie, hard, hard time. Right. And, um, and, and my tablet would ring and her name and phone number would pop up and I could just hit accept. Hey, what's going on? Everything all right? So that's, there was time. That's amazing. Yeah. Like I'm all about yeah. that. I am promoting that 100%. And I have said a million times, man, if you could have a tablet, have one, your communication, your connectivity to your partner, to your family, to, to everybody on the outside, the connections that you need, right? And then second, have some entertainment, education, all at your fingertips and not be fighting over the damn TV. I can't tell you how many issues were over TVs over the years. Wow. Like I missed all that. So I don't want anyone listening to this to think, oh, wow, they had it so good. They had a tablet. Like, believe me, prison sucks, right? Like this is something everyone should have because we want people to have that level of connectivity to their loved ones. Like that just makes sense. Yeah, it it literally it it saved both of us because mm -hmm. there was times when she was first in treatment where like she needed me now, not in an hour, not when you can get a chance to get on the phone. Like they had she needed me right then and I would get a message, I need you call me. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, and, uh, Well, I think the hardest part about going through treatment and well, I mean Honestly, it made it easier for me because I had never had anybody support me in the way he did. But I think the hardest part was, is just, you know, um, I had never lived life sober before. I had gone to treatments and stuff, but I had never made it very far. You know, as soon as I was out of that institution, I was back to using within a month at the most. And so, you know, um, especially like when I left that treatment and I went to a sober living place, and then it closed down and I went to a different one. There was a lot of issues with people using there and there was girls that were just crazy there. And like, I almost got into a couple of fights. When, and... when you say, when you say crazy, like were they prison crazy or were they like serious? Was there some, some mental issues going on because sober living encompasses a lot of different yeah, things. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So the manager of the house had relapsed her and her boyfriend oh. were there doing math. There was other people using in and out, yeah. but then there was also like mental, very mentally unstable people there. Okay. <laughs> and there's, I don't know, there's, there was a couple different girls, but 
you know, they were the type of catty girls where they'd be like in this group and then then they're kind of like weird towards you. Sure. But then they're acting like they're your friend. It, I don't know. So it was a whole weird situation. How did but... you manage? Because that sounds like a really chaotic situation, right? And yeah. you're fresh into your sobriety. How do you manage mm-hmm. to not fall in with them and to stay sober and stay on your path? Well, a big part of it was Kyle. Um, you know, I had him to lean on a lot, but also I got a job as soon as I could. I worked as much as I could and I got into my own place within a couple months. And then, which is where we're at now, um, you know, and I had gotten a new car probably a month after our being there. And then I just worked my ass off to get out of there mm. because I truly wanted to be clean. I didn't, I didn't want to go back to living because when I, when I came out of it, I was, I was doing fentanyl and meth at the same time. And so like, I was at a broken place to where I probably wasn't going to live much longer. What, what was that? Do you remember the moment when you were like, this is it? Was there like a spark and you're like, I'm done. Um, well, it was when Kyle stopped answering my calls mostly. (laughs) Yeah, he he blocked me on there because I would disappear for, you know, days to a week at a time Mm -hmm. and he would have no idea what was going on. So that was the very early beginning of our relationship. (laughs) Okay. I think it's so fascinating, too, because, like, I never advocate for somebody to go out and to get into a prison relationship, of course. But, like, it just – it always speaks to me that – you know, you were in a situation where you needed Kyle to be where he was. Had he not been in prison at that point, he would have been like, let's say, working a job or doing something else where he wouldn't have been able to be in that position where you needed him to be. And I always like from the outside looking in in these situations, it's just mind boggling that it's like, I'm sorry if this is cheesy, but like divine timing that he was where he needed to be despite it being prison and that sucks and it's so hard on your relationship. It's exactly what you both needed at that time to get you through that, to get you both through that and to get you to where you are so solid and so close to one another today. Yeah. And, you know, and I used to tell him that when he was having a hard time in prison, you know, like, you know, and, and the whole situation of how he got arrested. And that's what I used to tell him is, you know, like it could have been so much worse, you know, um, you were on a bad path. I was on a bad path. If anything, it probably saved our lives. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to, to accept that, you know, reality. Um, I would say like it, for me, it took getting 213 years. If I'm being honest about it, like I would not have stopped the way that I was living. And when I went to prison, I was still getting high. I was still drinking. I was still doing all those things, running around crazy for the first few years. And it wasn't until, you know, I hit a point where I actually, I got my final appeal. I almost missed it because I was in the hole and I almost didn't get a chance to file it. And I was like, man, my life is literally on the line and I just keep pissing it away. Like what, why do I keep self-sabotaging? And I came out and I decided, I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm not going to drink anymore. I quit smoking. I quit everything, all the drugs. And man, I remember for me, like I'd never done that before in my life. Like it was just such a constant, that was a dramatic change and nobody around me wanted to accept that. Right. I'd get guys come by and they'd leave, you know, moonshine on my desk, wine in my sink. I'd be like, man, I told you, like, I'm not 
doing anything anymore. I'm like, stop. And nobody else wanted to accept it. So the challenge is in the people around you, you make them uncomfortable because they're mm-hmm. still doing what they're doing. That's why I said that situation at the sober living house is unfortunately, it's all too familiar. I see it all the time here. Um, and, you know, I have some friends that work in that space, have homes, and that's the biggest challenge, right? When you have people who are serious and yet, you know, the people around them aren't supportive. So it's imperative that you find somebody that's fully supportive of that. And I don't think that we really talked about it much early on in our relationship. Like when I made that decision on the inside, it was like really solely me. Um, but we had a lot of years to to prepare for my release. You know, it was it was a bit of a stretch. And I know being outside presents all sorts of different challenges, those social situations, right, that we get into. And for us, like she picked me up at the prison, mm-hmm. like car packed. It's like, woohoo, we're starting a new life. Let's go. And although we had talked about many of those things, what that would look like, um, for me at that point, like sobriety was a way of life, right? But I also hadn't encountered social situations yet where I was going to be around other people where they're like, hey, what can I get you to drink? And it's like, I'm good. And they're like, what do you mean you're good? Like I'm having a drink. Like, can I buy you a drink or can I... You know, so you end up in those situations, you know, sometimes socially. And I think the most important thing was having her being fully supportive of me throughout that period. And she's chosen, you know, to be sober. Not that it was ever a problem for her. I mean, this was this was my issue. But having her being fully supportive has been huge. Right. And and I realize how significant that is and how fortunate the two of you are to be supporting one another in this. Um, But I'm curious, you know, you're apart, you're supporting one another. um, But how long does this go on? Yeah, so um, I ended up getting into my own house. He ended up getting sentenced. I went to his uh, court hearing over Zoom. And then they sentenced him. Um, then he ended up going to Jackson, which is downstate. Um, That's an intake quarantine process. Michigan, yeah. And this is all during COVID as well. <laughs> and so um, how long was it before you got to call me? It was like it was a couple four months. months. Was it? Yeah, it was a wow. couple months for I yeah. Wow. Like three, four months, or was it? It was like two and a half months for I could actually okay. call, yeah. I was actually having to have like the porters, the trustees that were out. Yeah. You know, because we're, we're in 24 hours a day. And I would be like, man, I need you to call my wife, let her know I'm alive. I need to know she's alive. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So we went from talking every day, multiple times a day, kind of, you know, uh, however, however often we wanted to, to not being able to talk at all, which was really hard for me. Um, I guess I just, at that time, I just focused on going to work and I guess just doing what I could. I just tried, I kind of went on autopilot at that point. Mm-hmm. Um and then once he got to where you went to Newberry, yeah. then we were able to talk again all the time. But I mean, we went through our ups and downs with our communications and stuff. And um, I had a relapse. Um, when was that? Like a year in. Yeah, like a year into it. 
which is a really scary process too, you know, because um, anybody who's done drugs knows that like, you know, usually once you start, you can't stop. But I, I somehow thankfully did. Um, what do you, what do you credit yeah. that? What do you credit that to? Cause, cause I am, I'm very curious. How are you able to cut it back off? Um, I wanted my relationship more than I wanted to continue getting high and, and being around the people that I was around. Is that what it was? And, like, were, were you, again, was it the people that you were around? Well, that... I, was, I, was talking, I was talking to Kyle on the phone. I remember, cause I, I kind of don't remember a lot of my relapse, but I remember talking to Kyle on the phone and he's like, you're basically walking away, away from our relationship. If you're doing this, mm. you know, and, and he had a point in that, you know what I mean? Cause I wasn't going to be doing anything good, you know? And and he somehow convinced me to leave there, and I did. And I went, I came back down here, and I got clean again. But I put myself through treatment again. So Man, con congratulations yeah. on that. Though. Like that takes a, a lot of strength, a lot of courage. Um, and man, you're you're fortunate that you saw the value in your relationship. You had something, you know, that inspired you to do that. How long yeah. was that yeah, sentence? Yeah. Uh, mine? Yeah. Yeah. When... Uh, yeah. So my last, so in 2021, I got sentenced to 32 months to 10 years for oh, wow. possession. Yeah. And, and I ended up doing what? 33? Yeah. I ended up getting stuck an extra like month and a half, um, like 45 days to my out date. I have my parole. She's coming to get me. We got the hotel room. We're going to, we're going to, you know, go there, decompress, make the trip to Minnesota, stop, see some family in Michigan. So we had everything planned out. And then a couple individuals, I was, I had a gate pass job there. So I went outside the fence with six other guys every day. I cut grass. I worked, I welded on stuff. And like 45 days before my out date, um, a couple guys had made up a, a plan to try to rob my locker of my commissary. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically with the idea that because I'm going home in 45 days and I'm a gate pass worker and I'm, you know, basically a square and the eyes of a, you know, a convict a mentality, you know, now I'm just a square. And so, yeah, uh, somebody tipped me off and we're like, Hey, these dudes are saying they're going to steal your stuff. And I, I, of course, approached them. <laughs> Adam knows me well enough. Uh, <laughs> so I approached them and I asked them, inquired, said, hey, you know, I had heard that this is what you guys are talking about doing. So I just want to clear the air. Like, that's not a, that's not going to be a thing. That's not going to happen. And the, the guy that I had said it to hit me in my face. And then I reacted and I ended up getting two fighting tickets with the two individuals. Um, and then I went to level five, you know, if I went from gate pass to going home in 45 days to level five to the counselor telling me I'm getting a new case because the one guy had to go to the hospital for a broken orbital socket. And now I'm in the cell, just devastated. Like everything I worked for, I felt mm -hmm. like was gone. I felt like there's no way that I can even expect or allow Felicia to stay in this relationship because now I'm in level five. With and he, he got one 15 minute phone calls to tell me, Hey, my parole has been suspended yeah. and that's it. That's all I heard for what? 30 days. 
Yeah. Yeah. You don't get the phone. Uh, I was on LOP. I was in a cell with nothing but a pair of boxers and a t-shirt for 21 days uh, and a sheet. That was it. No toothbrush, no toothpaste, no deodorant, no clothes, no nothing. That was a wreck. Yeah. And and, (laughs) yeah. it And you know, the thing about being in a relationship when you're and and I hate to say the word codependent because sometimes people take that as a negative um, implication, you know, like, oh, you should be self-reliant, self-sufficient and this and that. But, you know, the hard truth is it's just not that way with us. We're codependent upon each other. You know, we we have to exist in parallel with each other. Like mm-hmm. we need daily contact. We need uh, to reassurance from each other that that. Uh, that we got each other's back, you know, like, um, there's still insecurities that both of us suffer. And when we're together, they're, they're not completely gone, but they're, they're quiet. Yeah. They're manageable and they're, they're more, um, beneath the surface, you know, because it just, we, we show each other the value of each other. What I don't see in myself, she sees in me and, it allows me to see it and vice versa, you know? And I mean, I just cooked dinner earlier and like, I get an extreme gratification from being able to do things that I know make her happy or comfortable because she doesn't have to do them. (laughs) If I can, if I can rub her feet, do the dishes, cook some food and put a smile on her face, it makes me happy. So it's like, we're both getting pleasure Irregardless and vice versa, you know, I come home from work, dinner's cooked, rub my back. Like, that's what relationships are supposed to look like, you know, like, and when they took that away when I was in, when I was in, you know, right before getting out, now I don't, I have to see the parole board again. So they typically give you a 12 month continuance, meaning you have to do 12 more months and then we'll see you again and see if we're going to let you go. Fortunately, but, you know, for what, probably like good four weeks, we didn't know what was going to happen. And then I got to see the parole board. And you knew before I did. I had no idea for even longer because you weren't able to call me. Yeah. Yeah. So I I had seen the parole board and the guy asked me what happened and I explained it to him. And fortunately, and, and this is where, like, I feel like my perseverance on the right path for 32, 33 months had paid off. They had checked my file. And they said, this guy has taken every class that the MDOC has to offer. He took a vocational trade. He's never gotten one ticket. He's been on gate pass for a year at two facilities, um, you know, which is a lot. They're letting you outside the front door of the prison every day without chains or handcuffs and driving around on, on riding lawn tractors and gators and around tools and all kind. you know, there's, there's vehicle, like you're out. So... They had looked at all that, and the guy, after I had explained to the guy what had happened, he said, well, listen, you know, I can't say that you did the right thing because you violated MDOC policy, and now here you are sitting in front of us again. He said, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you you did the wrong thing either, you know? Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, you know, when I had heard that there was a plot to steal my stuff, as you and I both know, Adam, that's not stuff that I accumulated out of thin air. She got me that stuff. She went to work and busted her ass so that I could have those things. And I told the guy at my parole hearing, I said, it would be no different in my mind 
than if I'm walking out in the parking lot of a store and somebody tries to grab her purse. Because that's basically what was occurring. You guys are trying to, yeah, you're taking it out of my area, but you're taking it from from my wife. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what kind of, you know, kind of pushed me over the edge to where I had confronted people. But anyways, um, when when they had snatched that away from us, you know, it created chaos for both of us because, and and I I you know I say this on here because the message that we're trying to convey on here, uh, it devastated me, and and I was in a very bad place mentally in that cell because now I'm in level five, thought I was going home in forty five days, and and I had very very bad things in my mind, you know. Um, I was fortunate in some ways that there wasn't access to drugs, you know, because I would have done anything to not feel the way I told her. I was like, I would be sitting in my cell and and people might scoff at this and laugh, but for no reason known to myself, I would just start crying, you know? And then, and then after the tears came, it was like, what if I have to stay here? And now they're telling me I got to stay in level five with guys that got life sentences that don't care about going home or getting in trouble. Um, I got people cat calling out the door, you know, commenting on my coming from a camp, you know, basically. And, um, you know, yelling. how, How did you turn it around mentally? How did you get out of that dark place, get to a better place? Like, man, I got to pull it together. I, she's out there. She's counting on me. Like, what happened? What flipped that switch? Honestly, Adam, I, I didn't. Until I walked out that door, that switch was was off. Mm. And and I was devastated. You know, even walking out, and I know you can probably relate to this. I guarantee you can. When I was leaving, the COs, they're very, uh, they're dealing with maximum security inmates. Therefore, you're dealing with maximum security COs. And when I was walking out, you know, I'm in the cell and I'm pacing and I'm pacing and I'm pacing. I'm like, man, why it's it's eight o'clock. I'm supposed to be out of here. Why aren't they calling me? What's going on? And, you know, and um, so they call me finally and they buzz my door and I come out and they're like, oh, yeah, it turns out you got another case popped up. You're not going to be going home. And I knew in my heart, I don't have anything hanging over my head. I don't have nothing like that. So I knew that this guy was messing with me. But the fact that he thought it was okay to play around like that, you know, I just I just turned away from him, man, and, and bit my tongue, you know. But I'm walking out, and I get to the to the front of the prison, and all these thoughts of they're not going to let me out. This is all they're not going to let me out, you know, and. Um, so I didn't until I got in the truck with her. That's when the switch came on, and I was like, "I made it. We made it. Like we're here in the flesh. That's it. I'm going home to Minnesota. Like we made it." And and from there, you know, we had struggles. Yeah, which um, was hard because when he when he went to Seg, and I was and I thought that he could get an extra year. Like I completely like fell off the deep end. I ended up relapsing and it was a really bad relapse and I had a really hard time coming back from it. And, um, so when he was able to talk to me, finally, um, I was high and he, and I told him right away. Um, and it's like, I knew inside of me, I wanted to get clean. And I, I was like, I kept telling him, I'm going to be clean by the time you get home. I'm going to be clean by the time you get home. I ended up bringing myself to detox I was clean for two weeks. Then I went up to my parents' house and I ended up getting high again Christmas. And 
um, I ended up going and picking him up high and I was late. And so he was probably freaking out about that too. Um, you know, and so, and, and, and it just, it, it just blows my mind. Cause like almost, almost the whole time I was, I was clean and I held my shit together and, and, and it was just like, it was just like too much for me to handle. You know, I was just like, it, it just, and not only that, I didn't have sober support set up for myself. I had gotten myself to a place where I was so isolated. All I did was worked and slept. And so I got myself kind of in that situation when he was taken away from me as well. I had nobody, you know, and I would call my mom. She'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she didn't understand what I was going through. Yeah. So I kind of set myself up for that as well with not, you know, having the, the appropriate like support and like things set up for myself, which I'm working on doing now. And I want to add this for you, because unless you've been in your shoes or my shoes and somebody on the outside who's waiting, like that is literally your worst fear come true, minus, you know, yeah. the worst of the worst. But we sit here and wait. And when you have a date, like I always knew that that was a possibility and a potential because of them being in prison. Like that's just the reality of it. And you just kind of operate at this level every day trying to ignore and deny that. But that's always mm. a reality and it fucking sucks. Excuse my mouth, but it's, it's a really hard way to live. And when that did become your reality and you didn't know how much time he can get and you're, all you're doing is pouring all of your time and energy into getting to that one day on the calendar and it's ripped away from you. I didn't have mm -hmm. that day, but I can tell you the hardest part of my 11 years with Adam was the last maybe like two weeks of our relationship. As crazy as that sounds, we had been through so much, yeah. but when it was, it felt like it was dangled. I don't know if you guys know our release story. I told it on, we told it on the podcast a few times, but it was dangled and then they pulled it. It felt like away from me. I was like, I can't do this anymore. So Felicia, my heart breaks that you went through that. And I can completely understand the emotional roller coaster that you went through. And honestly, yeah. I'm so proud of you for being able to pull yourself out of it because it's it's one of the lowest of the low feelings. And anybody that tells you you're codependent because you're trying to survive a long-distance relationship and you guys need to speak to each other, like that's coming from somebody who probably goes to sleep next to their spouse every night. So they don't know right. what they're talking about. Mm. You I'm, guys yeah. – go ahead. No. What, no, I was going to say you've been through so, so, so much and that's why you're so strong today. And, and I yeah. want to add to that codependency, you know, has those negative connotations. There's another term, you know, there's independence and then there's interdependence, meaning that together you're stronger. And I would say yeah. that's clear just looking at the two of you, you know, yeah. what you've been through, where you are today. And I, I say that's true of our relationship sure. as well. Uh, I love the fact that you are so self-aware of you know what brings you joy and you know the desire to to want to be there for one another i mean that's you know that's the foundation for you know long-term successful relationship yeah. and despite what you had to go through to get to where you are um man like that's you know we talk about the power of perseverance it's going through all of those challenges that give us a greater appreciation for what we have. And I know last week when we were talking to you, you know, where you are now, everything that you have, what I hear is all appreciation. It's all about gratitude. It's like, man, yeah. 
Life is good. Like, look at what we have. I, I had to tell my boss. I had to tell my boss the other day. I said, man, don't don't take this the wrong way because I'm grateful. I, I'd, I'd plunge toilets, sweep floors, clean out vent ducts, whatever I had to do so that I could have a livelihood, you know, for me and, and her. And also, like, what she did while I was incarcerated, the inspiration that she gave me, because... You know, I don't I know you you and I lived in different units, so we didn't get to see how each other lived as far as commissary bags go, you know. But I never had I never went to the store, you know, until I got that job in the factory in Unicorn. Um I I had already been down for like eight years when I met you and everybody had disappeared. This time when I went down, I never went without anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was because of her. And like she always used to tell me, like, Oh, it's just money. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, it's not the money. It's not the ramen noodles. It's not the macros and the beef sticks. It's what you're doing so that I can have those things that mean something to me. You know what I mean? Because I know firsthand what it's like to be out because I had gotten out. I know what it's like to send $50 to somebody, $20, $100. You know, she's she's putting money on the phone, money for every message that gets sent, money for every picture that she sends me, money so I can go to stores, secure packs. Like, and and it wasn't that I'm like, oh, look at all this stuff I got. It was look at the woman I got. You know what I mean? So there was a big difference because the sacrifices that she made. So it what it was doing to me in there was. I'm reading auto mechanic books, welding books, carpentry books, um, anything that will add to my my ability to be a value mm-hmm. to the work f- field, you know. And that's what I try to encourage people to do. Like when you're incarcerated, utilize that time to build your relationship with whoever you have, whether it's a mother, a sister, a brother, a cousin, an aunt, a girl, a girlfriend, wife. But you know. Add to the value of yourself so that when you get back out, you're more valuable to society, you know, and and that's what I try to do to the best of my ability. And it's paying off since I've been out here. But not only that, like I was saying with the the motivation and inspiration she gave me was like uh, I was out cleaning my car today. A guy's working on our house. He said, hey, you work on cars. I said, yeah, why? What's up? Uh, how much you charge? I said, I don't know. It depends. What do you want done? He said, I, I really just need my truck deep cleaned. I said, 70 bucks. He's like, let me get your number. You know? <laughs> so it's like, I, I have this drive because of what she already demonstrated, you know? Um, it, it kind of, you know, like they say, it kicked me in the ass. It's like, wow. Like you were saying about both parties have to give a hundred percent. And, and that's kind of where I'm at right now is like, I'm trying to give all the gratitude and appreciation back to her that I wasn't able to really demonstrate from a prison cell, you know, and now I can, I get to demonstrate it in all the little ways, you know, and um, I'm just blessed and grateful for that, you know, I, I really am. And I attribute a lot of that to her because, and I tell her this and, and, and I don't, I don't tell her like. I was scared the first time I told her because I didn't want to hurt her feelings, but I don't know if I'm that strong 
to be out in society with temptation and and stress and responsibilities and and finances and all these things and you just have to be alone and put that fence around yourself mm. and you know she used to tell me all the time cuz I would get a little out of control with Colin because I would rather be on the phone with her than listening to what's going on around me and yeah. she would just be like I would call him and I could tell that it, it was but you know like she was busy or it was bothering her and I'm like what's up you don't want to talk and she's like she wouldn't want to hurt my feelings but at the same time trying to let me know like you're calling too much cuz now <laughs> her life is revolved around this holding the phone in her hand waiting for me to call and I was like dang man I can't I can't do that to her like that you know like I mean you you can tell them more than I can what what it was like <laughs> I think you did. It won't hurt my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I became too much, you know. Yeah, I would. I would look at my phone, and I would literally have like twenty missed calls. (laughs) I I get it though. I totally get it. You know, not wanting to be a part of all that inside. Believe me, I would have been doing the same thing if I would have had that same access. I would have been blowing up her phone. Believe me. Um, Yeah. So now that the two of you, you're out, you're together, right? You're doing this, relying on one another. What about the people around you? Have you found community? And, and I'm going to offer this up because um, we were able to connect. Actually, as we were coming across the country, we stopped in Denver at the headquarters of the Phoenix. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Sober yeah, active. I have, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So got a chance to meet Scott Strode, the founder. Long story, I reached out to him from the inside. I had seen him on CNN. So as we're coming across the country, I'm like, hey, we got to swing by and see this dude. And we just show up at headquarters like, hey, we're here. And uh, he's like, man, we're getting ready to open up a chapter in Vegas. I will definitely hit you up. I'll let you know when we get there. True to his word, um, the guy who came out here is our friend, John John, John Moreno. And... You know, we connected with him and really helped, you know, build the community with him. We're, you know, we're a part of it. And that was awesome to have that for us because we're both passionate about fitness. Um, so it spoke to us on that level. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, you know, making sure that you have a physical outlet. And especially if you have compulsive tendencies, like my addiction, like I, I do everything to the extreme, you know, and I've had yeah. to figure out how do I channel that. Fitness is a great way. Um, and sometimes I do that to the extreme as well. But, you know, for us, we found a community around that, which was really cool. And then we moved to actually a CrossFit that was attached to that. We had community there. And for us, we've been able to kind of build around that and, and find people who understand you know, like, hey, this is the path that we're on. Like, this is the way that we choose to live. And they're cool with it. So they're not uncomfortable with us choosing to live this way. Because generally, that's what I found. It's other people's discomfort when when you say, yeah. nah, I'm good. Like, this is how I want to live. You know, I guess they take it as a reflection of, you know, how they're living. So that's what we need. We need that type of community. We don't have that yet. We've been going to meetings, at, like, here and there. Um uh, we don't actually have like a community yet, though. Yeah, yeah, we don't. That's something that's uh, th- that needs to happen. You know, I'm hoping that 
when the when the cold goes away and the doors open up and people start getting up moving around more um we'll be able to either host some events for you know of our own and invite people couples to come hang out or we will be able to be invited you know um well and on the phoenix app it has people who live in rochester like on it i looked at that i seen that the other day i haven't really gotten too far into it yet so i wish you guys lived closer but yeah if you they're pretty good if you reach out on the app or the website yeah i would yeah. i would definitely encourage you find your community um find those people first because it makes all of those other interactions like i felt very fortunate to especially after 20 years right i'm coming back into social situations and I knew that there were going to be things that I'd have to navigate, right? And I already had it in my mind, like if I'm going out in a social situation, you know, I'm going to have uh, sparkling water with with lemon, like, yeah, give me, give me this. And sometimes it's seltzer water, whatever, you know, the event is, whatever they have available. So I still have a drink, but it's, it's what I choose to drink, right? And again, it's kind of to make other people feel more comfortable. Um, but through business events that I later found myself. I went through a uh, almost a year-long leadership program through the city where I was with all of these business people where that was how they socialized. It was like, we're going to this restaurant, this bar, and it was always open bar, drinks are flowing. And sometimes it, it got a little wild, right? <laughs> like, especially early <laughs> yeah. on. And I had to tell people very clearly you know, I don't drink. And it's always like, there's different responses, but a lot of times people just weren't comfortable. And I had to be comfortable myself in kind of working through that, disarming them. And like, you know, even when everybody else has had a few too many, like, I'm good. Like, I, I'm still comfortable. And when it's time for me to leave, I'm just like, excuse myself and leave. And I will tell you this, that by the end of that year, Many of those individuals had chosen to do like a, a sober January who were like, okay, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot. Now, I'm not going to take credit for that. But I am going to say is that I did notice people change their approach, whether it was just with me, but with others as well. And I think some of them, you know, uh, became a little bit more comfortable themselves and deciding, you know what, maybe I'm going to do something different. Yeah, no, and that's true. Uh, uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with like hermetic philosophy. You know, they talk about the law of vibration, and and if your energy is vibrating at a higher level than those around you, it's it can have the the influence to to impress upon them to get their energy vibrating at a similar uh, level as your own and. I had that happen in prison, you know, a couple times. I'm sure you have too, you know, when, when we were in the place that we were at. Guys gravitate towards that type of energy, you know, and girls. She's the same way. She, And I think that's something that, you know, we're missing out on here is like she likes to be around good-hearted, honest, hardworking, loyal, intelligent people, you know, that have purpose and meaning in their lives and and when you can network and you can establish, you know, the more the merrier, you know, like it just it, it creates a momentum when you have 
a friend or two friends and not just an acquaintance, but a friend, someone who always has your best interest at heart, who will never ask you to compromise your morals and your values, you know? And when you don't have that and you have the opposite, um, you know, it's a, it's a heck of a battle to have to fight, you know, every day. And, uh, you know, you get to where you get into a situation emotionally and physically and you got people going, eh, screw it, let's get high. You know what I mean? Instead of trying to, you know, here, put your foot in my hand, I'll lift you up, you know, like. And so I'm hoping, you know, that's our that's kind of our goal now is like try to try to establish that, you know, try to rub off on some other people or have other people rub off on us, you know, and um and go from there because I know this, what they say in AANA is true, like uh, what is it? How does it go? One's too many and thousands never enough, you know? And, and it's so true. It's like, never in my life have I been like, eh, one beer or one joint or one this or one that, you know, it's always like, and, um, and the other thing that they say, it, it only leads to jails, institutions or death. And that's the truth. You know, it's not, I know it's cliche because it's been said so much and so many people have, um, you know, gotten gotten the serenity prayer tattooed on them and then they go, but it's true. And it only leads to one place. It might take a week. It might take 10 years, but, but eventually it's going to that place, you know, and um I'm totally with glad you, to have you guys here too now. You know, we got we got a couple successful people who are devoted to the same path, you know. Believe me, we are on the same path and you know, we're here in support of the two of you. However that can be, we would definitely love to take a trip out there. We definitely yeah. we need to need to get out to the Midwest. It's above freezing. In the spring or summertime. Yeah. Just with that caveat, right? You guys are welcome here yeah, when we, it's freezing there. Yep. Wait till the summer. You know, we got the Mall of America here, and they got uh, the Nickelodeon factory. It's called in there now. It's it's mostly for you're, kids, but you're, you're, you're not selling it. Song. Yeah, you're you're CJ not you're not that. selling it right now. Hey, they got a store. They got a Nordstrom <laughs> with nice suits. All right, uh, <laughs> uh, there we go. Um, yeah. Listen, our our thing for this year is really to focus on making sure we have the right people in our lives. And that's, yeah. that's something that we are intently focused on. And that means we've had to, you know, kind of move away from some relationships and yeah. that creates space for others. And just to let the two of you know that it has been truly an honor. It's been a pleasure to spend last week, this week with you. Uh, I would like to do this more often. We don't have to be on air on the podcast, yeah. but I'd definitely like to get together again with the two of you very soon and keep this conversation going and know that we're here to support the both of you. We love your story. We love your relationship and we want to see all good things for you. We appreciate that, Adam. And and we appreciate both of you. You know, it's it's been nice to have people to talk to who have been in the same situation as us, you know. So yeah. thank you guys both for that. Well, we appreciate you guys. We appreciate all of you for tuning in. It's been another incredible episode of Great Ability, the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. You've just seen it. It's not just us. There are others who are 
man, they're going after the life of their dreams. They're doing it. So whatever your dream is, keep pursuing it. We're here. We support you guys. We appreciate all of you for tuning in. We'll see you back here on the next episode.